Ann. Hi, Jung. Hi, Jia. Hi, Jay. So great to see both of you. Today, we have John James O'Brien to join us to start a mini series on home design and aging gracefully. So, John, uh, if I could invite you to maybe speak a few words about yourself. Sure, thank you. I have kind of an unusual background in that in another life, I would have been an architect and design has been an important uh, aspect of just about everything I've done in life. My, my actual career was more in the architecture of organizations and knowledge systems. And I've applied some of that learning to designing places for inspired living is what I call it. And uh, I've more recently become a community champion here in Victoria and a co-lead of the Oakland's Rise Von Erf, uh, which is kind of an urban planning initiative. And I'm finding increasingly that there's opportunities in all of this to apply design thinking to better ways to have a multi-generational community. And that's why I'm particularly interested in this topic. Thank you, John, and welcome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. John, Anne, and I, we have been planning for this and we are very excited about the topic. We're hoping to explore the concept of aging in place, bring a bit more concreteness to thinking about our home's design, hence the mini series on home and design. And maybe I'll change it to living inspiringly, not just aging, but living. <laughs> and it should be pointed out that this is a very broad topic. We are hoping for is to bring awareness to thinking about the home from a design, from a care perspective, and also bringing a bit more clarity into the planning side of it. So that's the objective is really to raise awareness and start thinking about what it means to have a home that's support, supportive and that will inspire the, the life. So I would like to start maybe to tackle this big concept of aging in place. And maybe you can speak a little bit about where you have used the phrase or what do you think about it? What does that mean? I think it means people in their uh, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s now are thinking about where they live, where they'd like to live, where they feel safe and comfortable. And they're beginning to think and talk about it around the time they retire sometimes. But I'm very familiar with people in their 80s and 90s for the first time thinking about it and not quite sure where to begin with it. And so I think it's quite easy for some of us who have physically worked in that area for many years, as I have, to actually identify some of the key needs of people um, as they find themselves living at or wishing to live at home. And we could use that as the example today and what might they, where they might start on that journey. I started right back with the old sort of real estate terms of location, <laughs> location and accessibility and uh, safety and affordability and all of those things. One has to analyze it from the point of view of not what they need today, but what they think they're going to need. Mm -hmm. And that's the key because it takes some imagination and it takes thought and time and it takes looking at a lot of houses 
if they're not going to stay in the one they're in, um, looking at what homes offer and where the restrictions are and where they're not. Mm -hmm. And it can make such a difference in how people live and what their comfort level is. So that's where I start with the thought process. I see. You just outlined that it's a very long time. You said 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, so many decades. And ideally, maybe the, the planning should start at the time of retirement, mid-60s to do that. It makes a lot of sense to start then. Mm-hmm. John, what do you think? Well, I, I think there's a, a few things to draw out from what Anne just said, and, and you've just reinforced the idea that it is a very long period of time. And I think that that's one of the changing needs that we see in people who are trying to look forward to the future is at one time, we simply didn't live that long. Now we're living much longer. And that means the place you're going to choose as your home is going to have to last you for a much longer period of time. And that's a bit of a challenge for people to think uh, because we all experience our reality in the moment. And what we're really asking people to do is imagine that they will be living with a different reality and perhaps a reality that feels a little bit less than in terms of personal experience. And that's a very hard thing for us to do. I come back to the idea of, uh, and I think Anne touched on this, certainly the elements of self-awareness. In fact, we have to take our blinders off and try and, and I use the expression a lot, see through clear lenses or, and put different lenses on for different sorts of circumstances. And then as Anne says, analyze what we really want to achieve and what's going to be practical to achieve as we age in place. I think that one of the things that people, if I can say it this way, maybe make a mistake about is following trends and designing for today, forgetting that tomorrow can be a very different experience. Mm -hmm. I love what you said about seeing through clearer lenses and and the idea of maybe today what we can try to do is to provide several lenses that people can try on uh, and to think about their future Mm. and start planning or start thinking about what their needs are. If I could follow up on the changing needs thread and ask Anne and John, you each come up with three top changing needs that you have observed through your personal life or through your professional life. The, The idea of planning is to sort of imagine that might happen and have a plan for it and and be ready for it. Those changing needs that that you have seen are common, but a lot of times people sort of get caught and not realizing that they actually need to plan for it. Mm -hmm. I can start uh, with elbow room. So many people thinking about how to live and where to live and what they're going to need think about downsizing. Downsizing is a nice concept from the affordability point of view. It's not very practical from the living point of view in that as you age, you may find a need later on for the use of a walker in your home. You may find the need for an extra room to put a caregiver in overnight. Uh, What you do need for sure is a lot more elbow room in your bathroom and in your kitchen. And if you can plan for that, um, 
early on. It doesn't necessarily take a major modification, but it makes a huge difference in how you live comfortably. Uh, many of the reasons people move to care are because they don't live safely, bathroom or their kitchen. Those are both areas of high risk. And unless you have the space in there to do what you have to do comfortably and have room for equipment and have sometimes room for a second person, uh, it's a useless room. In my kitchen, for instance, I always experiment about kitchens because um, I just find their design is outmoded. And for a kitchen for an older person, I measured one day my reach, my comfortable reach um, in my arthritic joints. And um, I can reach 27% of, of the cupboards in my kitchen. Well, that's not quite enough. And so that kind of thing is what I'm talking about because reaching is another risk for fall. Turning quickly is a risk for fall, all of those things. So just think about just the simple things. So one, my first one is elbow, elbow room. <laughs> just give ourselves some more personal space. That would be one. Um, a second one is based on my need to feel that we're all participating in our aging process and taking responsibility for ourselves to whatever degree possible. I would really like to see people paying more attention to technology and how they can use it. I was speaking today with someone and said they were asking about my blood pressure. And I said, you know, that's really interesting, isn't it? That so many of us still wait for somebody to tell us what our blood pressure is. We need to know our own blood pressure every single day because that's going to indicate to us how our heart is and, and how we're doing in general. There's no reason that we're not using technology to check our, tech, our, our pulse and blood pressure and oxygen uptake and all those things every day. And then we know whether we're looking at a good day ahead or not, and we can plan around that. So those are, and there's so many in a ways in a home to use technology that we're not using at this time in terms of contacting other people, in terms of knowing who's at your front door so you don't have to get up and run there and answering your phone from wherever you're sitting in your house. You don't have to get up and trip over things to get to a phone to answer it. There are just so many dozens of ways it can be being used that it's not being used commonly at this time. And so that would be a second thing. It's all part of that self-management of being in the aging process, if that's what we have to be doing. And uh, uh, the other thing is um, accessibility, not just for yourself, but accessibility for your family or your friends. Can they get to you easily? Do you live near a bus stop? Do you live so that someone can come and see you or bring you things? Are you accessible to a corner grocery? Are you going to need to be as independent, we presume, as possible for as long as possible? So it's our, our general uh, location, um, our general uh, use of space within our house and our use of technology. Those would be the three things that I see for the future as being very important. Mm -hmm. Three 
changing needs and and also provided some of the advice on how to address them. So let's hear what John you have about the changing needs when we think about aging through 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. How do you make your home to be supportive? Mm -hmm. Well, it's not surprising, I guess, that uh, some of what I'm going to say is quite similar, actually, to what Anna's just said. One of the things that I feel strongly about is that room to maneuver. I can't remember, and you said it in a slightly different way. My focus is more on how are people going to address their mobility needs in space. So for example, if you are in your nearing your retirement years and you're planning on your retirement home, well, that's an opportunity to think about whether or not the doors you're going to be putting in are going to be the minimum code standard, or are there going to be a, a more generous proportion, which can still be a standard purchase item in terms of construction, but more generous than the code minimum requirement, so that if you do find yourself using a walker or you're using a wheelchair, you can actually easily maneuver through the space you're living in. And I think that's something that people rarely think of, but really need to. A second item is in terms of the technology needs that, that Anne's been identifying, all of those technologies, and they can be as high-tech as your new computer that your younger family members have decided to gift you with in the hope that you will be zipping along and zooming all over town and keeping in touch and you're perhaps not as comfortable as they may be with how technology actually functions, but they can be as high-tech as that, or it can be as low-tech as the kinds of pull-out shelving that facilitates the reach that Anne spoke of in terms of your kitchen. It is possible to get equipment that pulls down with a handle so that everything in the upper portion of your kitchen cupboards can be brought down to a level for, for accessibility. But it is something that needs to be planned for as you're considering that space need. The other thing that, uh, again, fits with the utility of space is that all of this kind of equipment needs a footprint of some kind. So for example, if you have equipment for sleep apnea, if you're having oxygen, if you're having other types of equipment that supports your well-being, do you actually have the physical space for it to store it when it's not being used, to store it as you're needing to use it? My, my three items, I suppose, really condense into one, and that is coming back to that idea of really thinking forward. What, what is my health condition now? Is there any sense of where I'm heading? And what will that mean in terms of the kinds of equipment and the kinds of technology that will make life easier for me? And then how does that fit into the design of the space I'm living in? Many different details, of course, you can go into in terms of how you meet those needs. But the most important thing really is to be open and not resistance to the idea that uh, what I'm experiencing today in terms of, let's say, the swelling of my ankles is a pretty good indicator that at some point later on in life, I'm going to have XYZ needs. I think it's human nature to avoid that kind of uh, self-awareness, but I can't think of anything that's more important in terms of guiding design than knowing that you have the right to shape your world uh, in the best way possible. And when you're dealing with 
professionals who are coming in to assist, it's important to remember that their goal, as much as it may be to facilitate your, your um, inspired living, is also going to be tainted, if that's the right word, by their traditional professional practice, what they're used to, and what fits the average client, or in, in the sense of design and construction, what's going to be most efficient and cost of, uh, Cost efficient is different from cost effective. And it's very important to keep in mind that the resident, the person who's going to be aging in place is in charge of the effective part, always has to keep that pair of lenses handy so that they can guide those who are helping. Mm -hmm. One of the th things I hear is, if I could just borrow the words from, from John, is that the design usually is for the average person. But the person oneself knows the best about their own needs and their own desires. So to make sure that the design is effective, the person has to participate in the planning process. I wonder if we could provide concrete examples to help people think through if they are indeed to plan for it, let's say at the time of retirement, and they're looking to purchase their home the aging in place home for the next two, three, four decades, how should they go about doing it in terms of bring in all that we have talked about? Think about the footprint of equipment, think about the footprint, maybe another person, think about incorporating technology into it, high and low tech, and think about how to um, make sure the place is personalized. How do we go about doing it? Is there any example, successful examples that you have seen that uh, might give people some some idea. I can speak. I guess we both want to speak to the same things anyway, because we think a lot alike in this world. Um, I just, all, I always go to bathrooms if you're looking at specific items to you know that people could look at. It's a decision that has to be made, or it actually doesn't have to be made. It's um, a decision to act has to be made that how one is going to bathe for the rest of their life. Because some people are just in love with bathtubs and right now they hop in and sit down and jump out and everything's fine. Um, there comes a time for many of us when a bathtub is impossible. You can't, if you did sit down, you wouldn't get up again. So um, it's a really good time if you're thinking about planning for the future and maybe modifying a bathroom is to provide both a shower and a tub separately. And if that's possible, and if it's not, then make sure it's a large shower with somewhere to sit in it um, as well. Because keeping oneself clean becomes very important when you're old, um, if you don't have assistance in the house to do that. So uh, access to, uh, a movable shower head and all of that kind of thing and somewhere to soak your feet and all those little things become really amazingly important. And it surprises me how often I have conversations in the care home I live in now with people who say, if I could just wash my own feet. Well, they can't because they can't bend that far. And, you know, without bringing somebody else into their life, 
but you can do it if you've designed for that in the first place where you can sit with your feet in some couple of inches of water for a while. Uh, that's just one tiny example, but it's so critical. And the same with the toileting, cleansing oneself is so hard. And because our joints don't move well, we have a limited range of motion in our shoulders and our hips. So um, to be able to use the toilet and then feel that you're clean when you know you've completed the job. There's lots of design features now that can handle that quite well. And the sooner you put them in and start using them, the better. Um, the ability to get a wheelchair into a bathroom is essential for everybody's old age because you and you don't have to be old you can break your leg tomorrow and you know be very handicapped in your own bathroom um, so it's a matter of the radius of turning things like a wheelchair and so on being able to get to the sink either stand or sit preferably something where you can sit and reach the back of this and reach the faucets and so on so just to focus on one room alone like that is a good exercise and really push yourself to how many things happen in there that you could arrange to happen more easily. And I think that would be the way to look at it. And if necessary, move a wall or, you know, but do it soon and get it done because you, the older you get, the more resistant to change you become, let me tell you. And so you just don't want somebody tearing your bathroom apart when you're old, if you can have it done a little bit ahead of time. Excellent advice, room by room, and go really deep into it in terms of the design features and what can be, can be put in there to enable a person. I'd like to uh, continue on some of those points by, by saying that Sometimes the building code is not that helpful. It can be useful to express the needs for your new space or your improved space from the perspective of accessibility and independence and aging in place, because it puts those who are assessing whether or not something will fit code in a different mindset. And they may be more supportive of a solution that is described as an accessibility solution rather than one they interpret as just an out-of-the-box idea. And I mention that in particular because one of the things I've done in a suite for an octogenarian who wanted to age in place was to refit or renovate the lower ground level of the house so that it would be a no-step area with large openings for access and whatnot. But one of the things we were able to do is because it was previously a a basement, was we furred out the walls, which essentially means putting uh, wood strips down so that you no longer see the footing of the house, which is what conveys basement to the uh, person in that space. And then you drywall over those uh, furred strips, and all of a sudden you have a normal wall from the ground, and it looks just like uh, any other space that's not a basement. But one of the benefits of doing that is that all of a sudden the windowsill is going to be deeper because you have that extra space, that extra thickness of the wall. So there's a number of things you can think about there in terms of uh, not only increasing the insulation so that the space is going to be more comfortable, but now you've got a deeper windowsill. And if those are placed well, you can wire them such that the outlets are actually at let's say elbow height 
as opposed to having outlets that you have to bend down and uh, plug things into. So in that particular space, I put both kinds of heights so that the space could be used effectively throughout the living environment. In the master bedroom, for example, there was an outlet on each side of a very long spread of windows above bookshelves, and that provided an additional place for either a lamp or a, a clock or some of that equipment that we talked about earlier that would be out of the way placed on those deeper window sills. Another thing that comes to mind from Anne's observations about bathrooms, I'm fortunate to have a steam shower, and that is something that requires glass from floor to ceiling in order to keep the steam in. Now, not everybody is, is going to be able to or want to have a steam shower. It's, it's quite an extra item in terms of your renovation budget. But that idea of having floor to ceiling closure of your space means that you can just put hot water on and you've achieved a steam room inside. You're not going to get the same temperatures, but you're going to get some of the same ambience without a cost that is actually thousands of dollars for the steam generator. So ways that you can incorporate some of the higher end ideas with a lower expenditure really adds to the quality of life. And one of those uh, examples would also be underfloor heating. In a bathroom, for example, which typically has tile floors, sometimes it's linoleum, you can't do it under linoleum, but you can do it under engineered wood, for example, you can get mats instead of having a, a major expenditure to have an entire floor with water fed underfloor heating, you can get electric mats that are put under the tiles. And that is a tremendous boon. In the middle of the night, when you're getting up to need the uh, washroom, a cold tile floor is not too pleasant. It's actually an energy boost to be able to step onto a, a warmer tile floor. Um, the idea of having seating in the shower area, again, that can fit multiple kinds of budgets. The idea is to ensure that the um, shower cubicle itself is large enough to accommodate a seat if if needed, and that can be a plastic bench, or it may be a built-in bench, depending on, on the budget for the particular project. But being able to get into the shower and sit down safely and use a handheld shower really extends one's ability to uh, care for oneself. And I think, again, the critical thing there is that uh, showers don't only have to be for cleanliness. They're a place of meditation, a place of respite, if you will, from the aches and pains of the day. Arthritis runs in my family, and uh, it can be very satisfying to have a handheld massager hit the joints, even when I've already had a shower for the day. <laughs> I think that uh, what comes to mind as we're discussing this is the idea that people often get hooked into a design trend. I mean, we all love HGTV, I'm sure. And we, we sort of dream of these uh, magazine types of, of households. But we have to think beyond the design of today, beyond the trend, 
that is after all designed to be made obsolete in a matter of years so that you'll renovate again. That's part of our economic system is to see that churn, that built-in obsolescence that we all love to complain about, but is nonetheless something we buy into, especially in household design. Think first about whether that design is going to be functional for you as time goes on. Mm -hmm. Excellent examples. I think that the massaging shower head is something that I'll be looking for you <laughs> this weekend. I can recommend some. <laughs> yes, this is a this is great. I I think that uh, for me there's one overriding takeaway, and that is the self awareness piece. A project that I had an involvement in Cyprus, the client had a lovely nine meter stairway and got taken by a particular type of stone, beautiful stone, but it had such a striated pattern that in the evening under lower light, after perhaps a nice dinner with a little bit of libation, you really couldn't see the edge of one stair from the next, but he was sold on that idea of this is a beautiful stone. So I would really say be self-aware, know what your lifestyle is, try to project into the future. And that also extends to saying, how am I going to engage with my community around me? And perhaps at another time, we can talk about that. Mm -hmm. I think it's amazing how, uh, as we start to think about these things, our minds just fill up with more and more and more points of, of what could be done. And, and uh, wouldn't it be wonderful? I like to know that everyone's options are as wide open as they can be at all ages. And so I glibly talk about getting more space for, to be old in. Uh, there are lots of us who are individuals, live alone, have always lived alone. I've always anticipated that I would be a political prisoner in my old age and I would live in one room, a one room cell somewhere. So I'm quite prepared to have designed the perfect one room studio living, uh, either as an apartment in an apartment building um, or in someone's home. And that's another thing we should give a lot of thought to, because as the years go by, I know more and more people who are really happy living alone. And uh, one big room can be much easier to deal with than a whole lot of rooms and doorways and corridors. So it's just, I always like thinking of the, all the options. And I think what, by using this conversational way of talking about things, those will kind of come to the surface as we go along. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thank you both, John and Anne, for your insightful comments. Thanks for the opportunity to uh, chat. For sure. Okay. Thank you so much. It was good.